0: Go ahead, turn to turn 1 to Peter. We're still in chapter 1. We're making our way through our Advent series, Season of Hope, and we're going to be hitting verses 13 through 21. 1 Peter, if you're on a device, you can go to the ESV, and you'll be able to track with us on that. So we, uh, we, we, we described hope. This is the definition we used for the word hope when we started our series, and we defined it as a confident expectation of future blessing based on facts, and promises, Let me read that again. Confident expectation of future blessing based on facts and promises. And so when we opened up the series, we talked about the beginning of 1 Peter 1 where Peter talks about this, this living hope that we have because of Christ. It's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. So it doesn't find, it's, it, it's a hope that is not grounded in things that are perishable and things that just fade away or things that collapse on us. Um, but it's a living hope because it's based on a person who is the object of our hope, of course, which, who is Jesus Christ. And then uh, Pastor Mark last week, he talked about what it looks like to have this hope as we endure through trials that Peter very specifically tells us that the, the churches that he's writing to, he goes, hey, you're experiencing these things. Um, these are things that you're suffering through. Um, it's a hope that as, as God tests you, Peter tells us, through various trials that you even grieve in. Trials are a thing that are hardships in our lives. They they propel us into seasons of grief. And and Peter says, look, this is a hope that as God tests you through these trials, um, you you remember that Jesus suffered. So this is a faith that understands suffering in light of the fact that our Savior suffered. And, And that suffering that he went through is one day going to remove all suffering for us. So that, that that infuses our suffering with a measure of hope, because we're not just we're not suffering meaninglessly, right? Our, our, our suffering is is on a path leading to a person whose name is Jesus, who suffered. So that that encourages us. Right? because sometimes when we're suffering, sometimes when we're experiencing hardships and we're going through all these different things in our life that have no explanation for us, it just feels like why and we ask the why question to God and that why can propel us into just sort of this hopelessness or this, or this, this sense of like meaninglessness for why we're going through these things. But what we understand by what Peter tells us here is that our sufferings, our trials are preparing us By increasing our faith and our expectation of the joy that awaits when we finally meet Jesus face to face, right? Peter said that in order to call us to something uh, as we await uh, as exiles, this is the hope that that, that we are offered as Christians. So to, so, so to sit back and to be exiles, to be living in a land really or in, in, a, in, in an experience or, or in, in a life that is not our final destination, uh, Peter, call, Peter, Peter has a word for that. He's saying you're exiles, you're living in a place that is not your final home. And so what he's trying to do here in chapter one is infuse that waiting with a sense of hope. And what we're gonna see today is that within that hope, he's also calling us how to live. And he's calling us to live as holy people. He's calling us to be holy. And when we think about holiness, we want to understand the word, the way the Bible promotes this word and defines this word, which is that we are set apart. We are to be different. That's really what holiness is. Holiness is in the way that we conduct ourselves as we're going to see, but primarily the word literally means is something that is set apart. So as holy people living as exiles in a world, um, we're to be different. We are to be set apart. That doesn't mean we distance ourselves. Right? So sometimes Christians have defined this as being, well, to be holy and set apart means I need to distance myself from people that aren't holy and set apart. Well, no, we see a very different expression of that in Jesus. Right, Jesus was the most holy person that ever walked the earth, the most set apart person that walked the earth, and he got right in there with all the people that weren't. Right, And so as we're holy, as we're set apart, as we are to be different than the world, um, we are to be conformed more deeply to the image of Christ so that we can be a light to the world. And that's what really what holiness means. It means to be different. It means to be set apart. It's why we describe Christmas as a holiday. The word holiday means holy day. It's different. It's different. It's not just like every other day of the week. I wish it was. I wish, I wish every day I woke up and there were you know, the 20 or 30 gifts that Melissa buys me every Christmas. I'm kidding. And I wish I could wake up to that every day, but I can't. It's different. It's set apart. It's different from other days. It's sacred. So here's the question that Peter is going to answer for us today, and it's this. How do we grow in holiness in a hostile world without losing hope? And this is how he addresses it as we pick up in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. in a hostile world without losing hope. The first thing that we see here is we do it by grounding our hope in grace. Um, Peter does an interesting thing here He's getting ready to call churches to live holy and obedient lives. And because of that, it means that's what he's calling us to do, right? We're, we're part of those churches that are being called to live holy and obedient lives. But before he does that, what's so interesting is that he tells them to prepare to do this by getting their hope in the right place. It's so interesting because he, he could have just like laid out a list. He doesn't lay out a list. He says, no, 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 prepare your minds is what he says. He says, set your hope fully on what? On the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that he frames it all. He frames the hope that we're supposed to have not by giving us a list, a to-do list, but by saying, no, 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 remember what hope can be when it is set on grace. In other words, don't forget what true hope is. It was made manifest through Jesus Christ. He's the one that gave you the hope that you can have by his work on the cross, right? So it's so interesting that before he even begins, Peter calls churches to live holy and obedient lives by getting their hope in the right place. He's already indicated, right, in in the, in the verses before, that setting our hope on grace, it's not light or easy work, right? Because our tendency is not to set our hope on grace. It's to set our hope on the things that we feel like we have to do because we forget we've been given grace. So if I can just do this, if I, can, if I can just be a better person, if I can just say better words, if I can just act in a way that's going to what I feel like is going to make God a little less angry with me, a little happier with me then I'll be holy, then I'll live an obedient life. There's some truth to that, right? Um, We don't wanna just dismiss that this isn't something that we work at, The Christian life is something that we purpose ourselves to do and to live out. But if it's not set on grace, as we're gonna talk about here in a few minutes, it just leads um, to frustrated and exhausted Christians, right? So Peter's already indicated, look, setting our hope on grace, it's not light or, or easy work. We set our expectations by anticipating the hardships of life. We should do that. That's wise. And by keeping our mind clear of anything at the same time that might obscure our hope. So there's all these things flooding into your life all the time that are trying to obscure your hope to try to keep your mind from being set on the grace that you've been given the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? They're constantly kind of trying to tug you and pull you away from that and trick you into believing that holiness and obedience is gonna come from some other place other than God's grace. So we expect, we anticipate the hardships of life, but we keep our mind clear of anything that might obscure hope. You know, athletes sometimes talk about getting in the zone right when they're when they're kind of doing the thing that they do best they get in the zone what do they what happens when they get in the zone well it just really means that they they remove all distractions from their mind so that their focus is set fully on on winning the game or winning the race right so they just they narrow down right so they can be completely focused on what they need to do this is how paul describes it in philippians 3 uh, 13 he says brothers I do not consider that I have made it my own, talking about this salvation. But one thing I do, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he said, let, let those of us who are mature think this way, right? Pressing forward, um, forgetting what lies behind, uh, moving forward with the grace that we've been given. He said, let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, well, God's gonna reveal that to you. So, so it's the all permeating effect of grace in your life. When I'm telling you things this morning about grace and obedience that Peter is teaching us and you're like, man, I'm just not there. I keep falling back into these patterns. It's like, that's okay. Because we're all at different stages and phases and paces in our maturity. Uh, You know, the the 53-year-old Ronnie is not the 43-year-old Ronnie, is not the 33-year-old Ronnie, is not the 23-year-old. I mean, so there's been a progression in the maturity of my faith as I've grown in setting my hope on that grace, right? So Paul says, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Because as you mature, your hope is going to be more grounded in that grace. This, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, listen to this, he says, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable, perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So again, this, this tells us something about why our, our hope needs to be grounded in grace because we're running after something hard that is not just gonna be temporary, it's not gonna fade, right? We, we learned that in, in week one. We, we have an inheritance now in Christ, and this is wh- what's so great about the inheritance is that it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you. That would be great if I wasn't the most forgetful person that ever walked the face of the earth, right? So I need to be reminded of what, and more specifically, who my hope is grounded in. So it's this hopeful expectation of your face-to-face encounter with Jesus in the future that allows you to live a holy and an obedient life in the present. So we ground our hope in the future grace that is coming when we see Jesus face-to-face. This is the baseline. This is the baseline for us growing in the holiness that Peter encourages us in. So how do we do that? What does it look like specifically? How do we ground our hope? I mean, that's a, that's a great line you came up with, Ronnie. It sounds very pastoral. How do we do that? How do we ground our hope exactly? Well, how do we ground anything, right? Just take it super practical. How do you ground anything? We, we fasten things to ground things. We reinforce things. We secure things, right? Every time you get in your car, what do you do? You... you you secure yourself. You put on that seatbelt, right? You fasten it. You reinforce yourself. You secure yourself for what might be coming ahead as you take off down the road. For the Christian, it's the power of God's word that fastens and reinforces and secures our hope. And that's happening to you right now. Why? Well, because you made the decision to get out the door this morning, and it was probably brutal, Right and to walk through these doors and to gather with the rest of the saints here and open God's word. And what's happening right now, whether you think it is or not, is that there is a fastening and a securing and a reinforcing thing that's going on in your heart because the Holy Spirit is working through that word to ground you in hope more deeply in the grace that you're going to receive the the pinnacle of the revelation of Jesus Christ in in the new age, right? So we... uh, I hate to say this, but I'm going to tell you a story. Um, we, we recently, this summer, we put new locks and doors on our house. Um, it was a long time coming, right? You all could have broken into our house like the last 10 years and um, literally just had a heyday, right? Stolen everything we have and there's not a lot to steal, to be honest, which is why we were never that concerned about it. Um, I remember I had a friend from Baltimore visit me, and we were like running out the door, and he goes, Dude, you forgot to lock your door. I go, Number one, I go, There's not a lock to lock it with. And number two, Ashland, Ohio. You know, I, you know and everybody's like, Oh, Ronnie, you're foolish. We need to, need to do a series on wisdom. That's actually starting in two weeks, and we'll talk a little <laughs> bit about that. Um, but now we have new doors and new locks, so you guys can't break in and steal anything from us, right? Um, and every night we do this thing where we fasten them, right? I turn the, ha- you know, I turn the lock, right? I lock the door. We make the effort, by the way, to turn the handle on those locks. Those locks are a grace to us, but not if we don't set them, right? So we set those locks, we ground those locks, right? Setting our locks, by the way, does not change the hearts of the criminals out there who want to rob us, but it does give us more secure and hopeful hearts as we sleep at night, right? So that's why we do. And this this is what it means to ground our hope, right? In the grace that God has given us. It takes some effort to say, I am going to hope in what I know to be true about Jesus and what he has given me and what he has provided me uh, by his work. So that is one of the ways that we grow in holiness. We ground our hope. The second thing we do is We do it by controlling our passions in conduct, Peter uh, calls us to here. He says here, uh, as obedient children, in verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, also be holy in your conduct. Peter's calling us to something beautiful here because being set apart, being different, being holy, it is beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Now listen, it can become ugly It can become ugly when it morphs into this thing called legalism in the church, right? Which is performatively earning God's favor through rule keeping, which can transform us into tyrants, right? Because we, as we are people that are just keeping all the rules that we think we need to keep, what we're doing is we're looking at everybody else and we're saying, well, you ain't keeping them like I'm keeping them. So that's a big problem in the church, right? So as people are trying to live holy lives by simply and merely keeping the rules, what happens is they lose their love for everybody who is not keeping the rules the way they think other people need to keep the rules. It's a hugely problematic thing, which is why we gotta be aware of it, which is why I gotta stand up here and preach against it, um, because it's, it's a real thing. So, so the problem is this, right, when we talk about uh, controlling our passions and conduct. Here's where it can go awry for us, right? The problem is controlling your conduct without grace, without grounding your hope in grace. That leads to condemnation. So controlling your conduct without grace leads to a condemning heart, not only on yourself, but on, but on everybody around you. Listen to this. Holiness is not primarily Keep the word primarily right there, all right? Holiness is not primarily about obedience to rules. It's obedience to a ruler. There's just a massive difference right there that we're gonna unpack here. Because here's the thing, rules rules have no heartbeat without grace. There's no heartbeat in a rule, right? Rules contain no love or mercy when they're performed without a relationship with Jesus, right? Keeping rules alone make you believe you're the ruler of your life. Jesus doesn't want you to think keeping the rules makes you holy, by the way, because, hey, remember the Pharisees? Remember the religious leaders? Remember the Sadducees in the New Testament? They kept all the rules, and they were the definition of unholy, according to Jesus. Very interesting, right? Jesus said about them in Matthew 15, he said, hey, you break my commandments by keeping traditions, by keeping the rules. You honor me with your lips. What did he say though? But your heart is what? Far from me. So what we're doing is we're getting here into matters of the heart when we talk about controlling our passions and conduct, because it doesn't matter that we just control them. It matters what motivation is behind our controlling of them, right? Jesus knows that you have a holiness problem, Like he knows that I have a holiness problem, but not because we don't try to obey the rules, but because we don't obey the rules out of a love for the ruler of our lives. It's just a massive difference. Obedience to Jesus is grounded in love for Jesus. And this is where the holiness comes in, which is why we control our passions in our conduct. Doing the right thing is not the same as being right with Jesus and then living out that identity as a person who is striving to do the right thing, striving to be obedient, striving to grow in holiness. Man, that's a, it's a fine line. It's a super fine, fine line for us. That's why we talk about it. That's why we acknowledge when we're, when we're being too judgmental. That's why we acknowledge when we're sort of leaning into legalism. When we find ourselves sowing, man, I don't know why they shouldn't be living this way. They should be doing this. They should be doing that. They should be doing this. Well, hey, there's a time, right, when we have a relationship with a person and we're sitting down with them and we're talking about what's going on in our lives and how we're living there. There's a time to be honest about like, hey, man, are you living as unto the Lord? Like, like is your life reflecting a, a, an obedience and a, and, a, and a holiness before Jesus? I mean, 100%, right? That's different than just going, look at them. Come on. I don't have any grace for them. I don't have any time for that. Look at how they're living. Look at their opinions on these matters. Look, look at, I mean, if you could just get a snapshot or a microscope into their life, you're not gonna like what you're gonna see. And I don't have any time for that. Well, now we've become Pharisees. Now we've become Sadducees, right? Here's what's so hard for me to grasp. Being holy is not only not doing bad things. It's conforming my head, my heart, and my hands to the glory of God through a passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ. Dang it. That's as PG-13 as I can get behind the pulpit, you know. We might say something like this. We might say, as long as I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm okay right? But without a pursuit of Jesus and a growing passion for Jesus, your heart snaps back into conforming to other passions. It just does. It's the way it was designed. In other words, if living a holy life begins and ends with just controlling your conduct, then Jesus will simply, he'll be like a hobby. He'll he'll just be like a hobby that you lose your passion for. Hobbies are awesome. I got a few of them right? You all got hobbies. You all got got those things that you do in your spare time, and they're fun. They give you life. They break you away from the the routine. Those are good things, right? But you can lose a passion for a hobby, and chances are you've kind of ebbed and flowed if you have lifelong hobbies. There's seasons where you're into it, you're investing into it, other times when you're not, right? Because there's nothing to lose. It's just a hobby. You can do it. You cannot do it. You know, you can take it or, or leave it, right? But a passion is something different, right? And let's see what Paul says uh, has to say about this. Let's turn with me to Galatians 5, because we want to understand what we're talking about here when we talk about passion. So you want to make a hard, hard left, go back a few books to Galatians chapter 5. Look what Paul says when he talks about passions, Verse, picking up in verse 16, but I, but I say, he says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They, they're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But he says in verse 18, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under, under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident This is what he lays out, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus have, this is getting to what Peter's talking about. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Verse 25, he goes on to say, if we live by the spirit, let us walk by the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what he's trying to say here is there are these passions that come naturally to our flesh. And these are things that we gotta be guarded against. These are, these are things that we gotta make sure that we're not pursuing. So if we are not pursuing passionate dis, uh, if, if we're not as, as disciples of Jesus, pursuing him passionately, right? We are gonna snap back into pursuing those things that come naturally to our flesh. There's just no getting around it. It's just what is. It's just the way your heart was designed, right? And so that's why Peter says, hey, the call here to be holy is to control your conduct, control uh, your passions. When we pursue holiness, the conduct of holiness, pursuing the things of God, when we pursue that by grace, this becomes actually an act of faith for us. Because what you're saying is these things that come so naturally to my flesh, these things that I fall back into so easily, those really aren't the things that satisfy me. They feel like it in the moment, but in reality they're really not. So the act of faith, by, by acting out my faith, you're saying, you're stopping and you're saying, no, I have the spirit living inside of me. I'm gonna pursue Jesus. I'm gonna let my heart and my mind be shaped and conformed by him, by his grace. We're told without faith it is impossible to please God. Forever who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Now what's contained in that is a lot of pain. What's contained in that is a lot of dying to the flesh, which is miserable, but it's actually better to be on a road where you're dying to your flesh and you're pursuing the things of God than just easily snapping back and Velcroing yourself to all those other passions that just leave you wanting in the end. If it was any different, the Bible would have told us so. But it doesn't. R.C. Sproul, a theologian, pastor, uh, passed away a few years ago, wrote some great books on holiness, or really one great book on holiness, I think called Holiness, right? Um, But he said this, he said, true faith always produces a real conformity to Christ. So for you to pursue those passions, to control your conduct and your passions, Um, That is an act of faith. That is you living out your faith in real time. That's what's happening in that that moment. So how do we control our passions and our conduct, right? How do we do that? We do it by being controlled by another passion that puts our conduct in service to it. So Melissa and I were in Kansas City last week, and um, I mean, that is just Patrick Mahomes' city. I, I mean, Like you can't, I mean, dude, you can't, you cannot go anywhere without his face. Like right here. If you ever were confused or wondered what Patrick Mahomes looks like, just travel to Kansas city. I mean, there's not a, there's literally not a square foot of space where he's not somewhere on on it. Right. It's unbelievable. Um, his image is everywhere. If you're Patrick Mahomes, all right. Your passion is what it's, it's football, right? and his conduct, it reflects that passion. He works hard. I saw the documentary on Netflix. This dude works hard. He trains, he practices plays, he memorizes plays, he gives his life to the pursuit of winning football games for the Kansas City Chiefs. It doesn't matter if you don't like KC, it's irrelevant to my point, right? His conduct reflects his passion. What if we loved Jesus like Patrick Mahomes loves football. Like what would that look like? Our conduct would reflect that passion for him. Like, like Patrick or Pat, if you, if you know him like I do, you call him Pat. Um, we would be careful about letting anything else creep in that would put our passion in danger and therefore change our conduct, alter our conduct. That's what Patrick Mahomes does in his training regiment. Nothing gets in man. Nothing gets in. He has one focus, right? He's so careful about everything, careful about his diet, his training, his recreation, his focus. Everything is in service to his game. So when we live our lives in service to our gracious and loving King Jesus, what's gonna happen? Our behavior is going to conform to that passion and pursuit. Here's the third thing how we grow in holiness, living in a hostile world with hope. We do it by remembering our ransom from futility. Peter reminds his readers that they were ransomed from the futility inherited from their forefathers. And he uses the word knowing, right? He uses the word knowing. Where where did I find the word knowing? He says there in 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. So in other words, Peter's just reminding you to remember, like remember who you are. Remember your identity. Remember who you're in service to. Remember how your passions have been reshaped and reformed to imitate the passions of Jesus Christ. He's saying, remember, knowing comes from remembering. We remember that our ransom wasn't paid with dollars. It wasn't paid with silver and gold. We weren't bailed out of our life sentences because Jesus came up with the bail amount, right? Jesus switched places with us. He freed us from our spiritual prison by entering in to take our punishment. Except by the way, we, none of us were doing time. We we were on death row. That's the difference. Peter describes Jesus as this unblemished lamb, whose blood was the payment for our sins. God chose his son, Jesus to do that, to redeem and ransom us from our futility. What is our futility? It's our attempts to ransom ourselves by living holy lives apart from Jesus. See, we, we think we can pay our own bail, but we don't realize that actually we're born on death row. Money is off the table. Peter wants his readers to remember who they are and why pursuing holiness comes right back to Jesus. He says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This is what he means by fear. Fear in that we understand the price that Jesus paid for a ransom so we don't take our pursuit of him lightly and flippantly. That's what he means by fear and awe in the work of Jesus. Some of you live unholy lives because you don't yet know this holy God that we talk about who ransoms sinners. We want you to know him. You can know him this morning. Your life can be changed from the passions of the flesh to the passions of God, just by coming before God, admitting that you're not holy, admitting your need for him, admitting that you need the holiness of Jesus to be saved. And in a moment, your life will begin a trajectory towards holiness and obedience before Jesus and life in him. Imagine that some of you, live unholy lives because you don't set your mind fully on the grace you have in Jesus Christ. You have that grace in Jesus Christ, but you're not setting your mind fully on it. You're distracted. You're divided. You're double minded. You've tried to follow rules without following the ruler. Don't you just want to stop being so exhausted? That's what the gospel offers us. That's what Jesus says. All you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. It means stop trying to follow the rules before following me so that your obedience to the rules can come out of the heart of grace. It's a beautiful thing. Why do we want to pass that up? Why do we want to fall back into being just rule followers and rule keepers while keeping the ruler off on the side, up on the shelf? right? We don't want our lives to be like Duncan yo-yos. Every Christmas I would get a Duncan yo-yo for Christmas. I, I love yo-yos. I was never really great at it. I could do one or two tricks, but a yo-yo just goes, I mean, it's really kind of a mindless exercise, um, up and down, right? Um, but our life can resemble that back and forth between our former passions. So hope, which we defined in the beginning as a confident expectation of future blessing based on facts and promises, it's rarely experienced or it just kind of ebbs and flows, because your other passions have sucked your hope dry. So how do we end this? Let me say it like this. Holiness is happiness. Holiness is happiness. Holiness is hopefulness. It's pursuing the ruler of your life so that you can obey his happy rules, with the assurance that your ransom has been paid. That's it right there. That's the Christian life right there. You have been called out of darkness into marvelous light. You have been set apart. Think of yourself rightly. Remember who you are. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. If you watch Uh, Dickens, A Christmas Carol, there's like a hundred versions of it, watch one of them this season. There's a moment where the ghost of Christmas present parts his robe open and there's these two children that are underneath his robe and he calls one of them want and he calls one of them ignorance. And his line to Ebenezer Scrooge is he says, beware of ignorance for on his brow is written doom. Now, he was not thinking about 1 Peter when he wrote that. I'm not trying to tie that in that closely. But we need to beware of ignorance, right? By remembering who you are. Remember that you're a child of God. Remember that you've been saved. You've been ransomed from your feudal ways. Think about the joy that existed in the heart of Jesus to come down and to do that work for you so that you wouldn't be somebody who's walking around with a weight on your back because you're trying to keep all the rules and you're screwing it up all the time. And you come to church because you feel like, man, I'm just going to make penance. I'm going to come to church and then I'm going to leave. And then the weight just comes back on. And then I got to keep going through this endless exhausting cycle. That is not what God has for you. God has called us to be holy and we do it because it's not our holiness but it's the holiness of Jesus that has been placed upon us, which is the reason why we can live holy. And the reason why when you are unholy, you have forgiveness. When you go to him and confess your sins, let's bow our heads. Let's pray that the Lord would open up our eyes to that truth. Give us some peace and relief in that and some renewed hope. Lord, we thank you that we have this hope to become holy, to be uh, conformed to the image of Jesus. And we're called to live holy lives, to control our passions. But Lord, we also know that we so often get in trouble because we we take the burden on ourselves. We forget, Lord, that you are the one that has made us holy before God by your work on the cross, by your resurrection. Lord, so often we just stumble through life in spiritual exhaustion because we haven't grasped the grace that Peter has told us to set our hope on. And Lord, maybe it just feels overwhelming. It probably does for many of us, Lord. So I, I ask, Lord, that you would give us just such a, just such a renewed heart, um, renewed eyes, or give us a, a, a growing hopefulness as we reflect on our lives, as we see the different ways that we struggle in these things, Lord, we know that you're compassionate, you're patient with us. And Lord, we want to live, we want to live holy and obedient lives as people who remember the futile ways that you ransomed us from. Lord, let that give us a joy today and an excitement. Let us give that a peace today. And Lord, for those who haven't experienced that, Lord, I pray that they would come before you today, they would they would commit their lives to you. They'd repent of their sins. They would receive the righteousness that they need from you because of the cross. Lord, they would enter in a place where they can live as you intended us to live, which is holy and obedient, conformed to your passions and the things that you have for us that give us satisfaction and joy. There's a lot in all that, Lord. Um, Would you help us focus on some of those things today as we remember our ransom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.